about that cigar? How about that cigar? Hey guys, it's uh, it's Tuesday night, and you are watching episode number twenty-three of How About That Cigar. We want to thank everybody who is watching already. We've already got a few viewers in there. Uh, welcome everybody, and for those of you who are listening on the audio podcast, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. Uh, we have a very cool show coming up this evening. Garrett, how's it going? Oh. Man, I know, living the dream, right, dude? This is good. Well, it's a beautiful night too. Did you get hammered with storms because we got killed? Nope, you didn't. However, yeah, we got uh, killed. So I'm, uh, we're in the Twin Cities area, and my wife calls me as I'm leaving my last thing last night and says, "Hey, will you pick up our son who is, you know, 45 minutes north of the cities?" Oh, sure, yeah, no like, problem. What? Yeah, and uh, I ran into said hurricane. And it was like a wall. Yeah. So. I got, I'm driving today to, I had a doctor's appointment. I'm driving to the doctor and the sky opened up. It was beautiful, bright blue skies. And there was hail bouncing off my windshield. So that's a good time. Hey, Sean. So the, um, so the Minnesota twins. Yeah. They're, they're actually, you know, things are improving a little bit. You know, they're, uh, uh, things are picking up, you know, they've, they went from uh, you know down to a point five game lead, yep. and they're back up to three point five. They're they're I playing know. right now. Um, they are up two to one. Two to one. So that's good. Um, you know things are looking up. Uh, you know Sano's got his bat back. He does. I don't know. He, he must have lost it under his bed for I a think, while. I think yeah. Um, he may have put in like Jobu in his <laughs> locker. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Sacrifice yeah. a chicken. Yeah. Whatever works. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever it takes. Um, so yeah, the, the twins are doing a little better. Um, um, so those of you who, uh, who have been, uh, watching and listening lately, we, uh, you know, we want to say thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. Um, there's, uh, there's some new content up on the website, so don't forget to visit howaboutthatcigar.com Um, cause there is some, uh, some new content up there. So please go check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, Garrett, what are we, uh, what are we going to fire up this evening? We've got, uh, you've got yours and I've got mine. Mm-hmm. We got the, the uh, Aquitaine, the Aquitaine, and the Cro-Magnon, uh, and that relates to uh, to our guest. Who? What? Yeah, really? I know. We have a guest. Can you believe it? Oh, uh, wow. And I just don't feel like waiting anymore. So, uh, well, ladies don't. and gentlemen, uh, if you would please welcome to the show live from Austin, Texas, Skip Martin from Roma Craft to Back. Skip, how's it going, brother? It's going good, man. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, uh, I've got this 300 megabit per second. Uh, wi-fi internet so <laughs> it's uh it's a little bit better than the five meg 2.1 meg i get in uh Estelie. yeah that's that's true we uh when we first started this deal with my oh, wife and i man. moved to this new house uh, about a month ago but before that we were at our old place and the the internet was like it, it was like a you know a hamster on a wheel it was awful so we had uh our first few shows were a joke it was it was pretty crazy our internet cup kept uh kept going down so um uh skip you just got back uh you guys just got back from the uh the rocky mountain cigar fest like a lot of uh uh folks that we know uh it looked like an awesome time unfortunately we couldn't go there but it looked like a great time and uh you know a lot of consumers and manufacturers and media people just kind of hanging out having a Mm -hmm. good time um what's when it comes to an event like that um you know what do you um what's the the coolest part for you guys about an event like that what do you enjoy about it uh, I don't know. The thing that I like the most is, uh, kind of the time before and after the event, just hanging out with everybody, you know, smoking and, uh, telling stories, 
the event yeah. itself is, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of multi-vendor events, but uh, this th- that one's particularly well run. So, um, you know, it's well attended. And, yeah. and so, uh, you know, it's fun seeing people, you know, from the West Coast that we don't get to see a lot. Yeah, yeah. Did well, you have any uh, new takeaways that uh, came from that event? Uh, I mean, it was my first time going to that one. So, you know, the kind of big takeaway for me was people are, there's so many, there's 200 or 300 something uh, exhibitors. And so uh, people buy so much from different people that really, you know, it's not like where you sell a lot of boxes. You need more samplers and small, small things. And also that the... uh, the weasel culture is extremely strong. <laughs> there's there's you no, got, uh, you got a lot of people trying the Jedi mind trick on you. Oh man. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hey, and to yeah. let people know too, real quick, sorry to cut you off, skip, um, leave comments, ask questions. We yeah. may or may not be able to get to them. Um, uh, like, and share the video. And, uh, maybe there, there may be a lucky winner, a lucky winner. There might be. Do we have something to give away? We might. We might. All right. Well, we'll find out. Uh, yeah, I've got stuff to give away. So, yep. um, uh, so if you guys are just joining us too, um, take a, just one quick second and click that share button. Share us on your favorite cigar group. Share us on Facebook. And um, uh, we'd love to get as many people in here uh, contributing and asking questions and all that good stuff as we can. Um, so, Skip, I want to dive right in. Um, you know, you've... Um, uh, Roma Craft Tobacco uh, started up in, uh, was it 2011? 2010, we started uh, making cigars. And then the actual company, I think we started in 2012. Okay. okay. Um, and when it comes to the lines, you know, the names you guys have, um, there's so many cigar companies out there that have, you know, especially uh, if it's a, at least to me, if it's a company that's that's a little bit, newer that's been around say uh 15 years or less you know you hear a lot about you know names of different cigar lines or the name of the brand itself you know it's got some it's got something that's important to the people that started the company uh something that that's meaningful to them so when it comes to aquitaine and cro-magnon and neanderthal and and now soon to come out baca tell us about you know, those, those terms and those, those words and, and why it is that that's important uh, to you and other people who together started Roma Craft Tobacco. Well, I mean, the easiest way to, <clears throat> so the easiest way to talk about it is, uh, you know, back, back in um, when Mike and I were having these discussions about the company, you know, when we very first came out of, with a cigar, it didn't even really have a name. It didn't have a boxes. It didn't have labels. It was just, hey, here's this cigar. And um, what a lot of our discussions really kind of centered around the fact that a lot of cigar companies that were coming out at that time in particular had these big marketing focus campaigns on lifestyle. Yeah. You know, like even still, if you listen to a Davidoff ad, it's like, uh, you know, you know, I have a lot of respect for Davidoff, but it's it's this whole, you know, basically gild, gilding the lily kind of uh, Gatsby-esque kind of, you know, <clears throat> you know, rich guys sitting in a smoke-filled room, 
you know, cutting a cigar, you know, the $80 cigar with their solid gold cutter. And, <laughs> um, you know, for my, my discussions with Mike were really around how, for me, the cigar business was more about the culture around cigars, not necessarily the, uh, the lifestyle so much. I mean, I don't even really know what that means to be on the lifestyle for me is just travel. And yeah, <laughs> right. right. So, um, so we, we talked a lot about this, the culture and the subculture, which, which got us talking a, a lot about more kind of anthropological things. And, you know, we were sitting around, uh, in my garage with a, you know, one of those kerosene heater things in the winter. And, you know, it was like, you know, essentially it's kind of like cavemen. And that's, that's where, you know, we, we, you know, tying the, you know, Neanderthal, uh, Cro-Magnon, uh, Baca, those are all kind of anthropological, you know, subcultures or, or, you know, in that kind of arena. So, hmm. um, and also, uh, it was something that wasn't trademarked, which is a big plus, um, especially like in the beer business, every single thing you could think of has a trademark and in the, in the cigar business, you know, it, it's not that far different. So, um, you know, we kind of knew originally that our line was going to be chromat. We were originally going to do Neanderthal. The product that we were working with was actually not as strong. So we, we went with Cro-Magnon and then, uh, out of that, we, we, uh, you know, did Neanderthal after and did, uh, the, uh, the Baca recently. So, uh, the, uh, you know, the other side of it is kind of just the study of history, right? So intemperance is really based on the prohibition movement, <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, whiskey rebellion kind of underneath that is also a big historical thing kind of tied to the, uh, you know, the regulations yeah. and the taxes. So, um, you know, there's a lot, I have a whole long list of things that I think are really interesting in terms of cigar brands. <clears throat> and then when we start working with pro, uh, pro, uh, tobacco and mater raw material and we start blending, then I kind of refer back to that list of ideas to say, um, you know, which one does it really fit with this product? So, and then there's guys out there that just trademark shit all day long, everything they could think about, yeah. you know. Uh, Gurkha, Alec Bradley, they have tons and tons and tons of just random marks that they've never used. So, uh, to be honest, the, the, uh, the marketing aspect of it is probably the least interesting to me, you know, once it's, once it's created, it's created. And then, uh, um, really from that point on, it's really just about the tobacco and then also about the relationships. Yeah. So, um, so when you first, like you said, you first um, had cigars come out that didn't really have a name, but, you know, you wanted to get things moving. You had a, a, a factory relationship at that point. Um, and then you you decided to you know, work together with Esteban to start up Nicosueno. Um, What was sort of the triggering event or, or that that made you decide to you know, open up your own factory together with Esteban or was that part of the plan from the very beginning? Well, from the very first cigar we made, it was with Esteban and it was behind his house. Um, and then the factory, Nicosueno came along when we actually built um, a new, We from the time we started uh, making the cigars together, probably about five or six months into it. You know, originally 
uh, the cigars were made for me to sell directly through my store. So I was working with Mike. Mike had a cigar company called Adrian's and I was ordering them, you know, through Mike, uh, from Esteban. And, um, when, when it got to the point where it was, it was really taken off and, and we decided we were going to, uh, sell them to other stores. We formed Roma Craft and Nico Sueno at the same time. And then probably about a year and a half after that, we moved out from behind the factory we had behind Esteban's house to an actual new building factory, a larger building. So, um, you know, I, when I very first started, you know, I had a cigar store. One of the things that I did in my cigar store, I think I've talked about this dozens of times, but one of the things I did is I would sell cigars that I found kind of like lost and found uh, in, um, in in factories that we visited. So um, I would go to Camacho, I would go to Rocketel, I would go to uh, a number of different factories. And if I found things that were like abandoned private labels or prototype things that never launched, uh, I would buy those cigars and then I would sell them unlabeled in bundles from my cigar store. And one of the most popular ones is, is one that I was trying to recreate with Mike when, you know, when I started that process, you know, I visited a lot of people. I visited Padrones. I visited Guillermo Leon. I visited Paul Palmer from um, Aganorsa. I visited um, Alan Rubin. I visited, I mean, pretty much everybody. And in every one of these discussions, it was, it was all, they're all different in terms of their approach. But what I really quickly realized was I didn't really know anything about tobacco or making cigars. Um, I mean, I was a supply chain guy. So, yeah. you know, I was, I was asking questions like, you know, it, what's in this blend? You know, what are the components in the blend? Um, where do you buy those? You know, to make a thousand cigars, how much of that do you have to buy? What are the real cost drivers? And a lot of those people don't want to tell you any of that, right? They just want to tell you, hey, I'll sell you this cigar for X amount of dollars. Yeah. And then you can, and then you can rebrand it, et cetera. So um, the deeper I got into trying to find those, those things out from people, the deeper I got into realizing that I needed someone that I needed to kind of work with someone who would be completely open and honest. And that's where I, when I started talking to Mike, who at the time was importing a lot of raw material into the U S to, to be made in stores. And one of the people that worked for him was Raul Disla. Uh, he had worked with him for six or seven years. Uh, most of that in a, in a, in a retail store called heroes and legacies in Lubbock. And, uh, Raul had a brother, Esteban Disla, who was the basically the general manager of uh, Scandinavia Tobacco in Esteli, which had previously been Latin Cigar, which was the largest factory in Esteli. So, um, <clears throat> you know, Mike said, hey, you know, I think, you know, if I go down and I talk to Esteban, we can go look at raw material. We can go look and see what's available and we can see what we could do about making a cigar like like this. And so. Um, you know, that's what, that, that's how we got connected with Esteban. And then pretty quickly, like about six months, eight months into it, uh, we ran out of, uh, wrapper leaf for the, for the cigar, the Cro-Magnon. And, um, I went down to look at raw material, um, and ended up leaving having spent about $120,000. So, um, when I was that invested in it, I said, Hey, you know, um, we probably ought to make a, a company out of this if we're going to be investing this kind of uh, money. So yeah. 
that's where everything kind of just went from there. Um, actually, this this one kind of leads off that, and it's sort of off script, but I'm curious, and this may happen a lot with other cigar makers, or maybe it's just something I'm making up in my head that doesn't happen at all, but how many times have you have you guys worked and and started working on a blend and came up with something that was really outstanding, but you ended it ended up not going anywhere simply because you couldn't get the materials needed to make the cigar consistently? Or does that happen at all? I mean, generally, we don't get that far down the line unless we know it's a like, you know, for example, I've always been uh, thought about working with Cameroon. But, you know, knowing that it was uh, a tobacco that was hard for us to get, I never really got serious about it until we found a source. And then once we found a source, we knew, hey, you know, we can get this Um, in particular. um, You know, this is the darker, heavier tobacco uh the cameroon and so um and and we're kind of accustomed to working that way and so we we said hey if if we can get this on a regular basis we'll we'll work a project up around it so um i don't think we've ever bailed on a project because we couldn't get the raw material generally the raw material all comes first and you know it's like um sometimes it's like uh it's like you go to the 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 vegetable market or the you know the open market or fish market and you find things and then you come back to the restaurant and you figure out what you can make with it and then sometimes you find a source of a material that you haven't worked with before and and you just buy it and you know knowing someday you're going to do something with it and then sometimes the material you already have yields off other material that that builds up and then you go hey I have to have to do something with that so like we make chromagnon we use a certain kind of wrapper. Uh, some of that wrapper ends up being too clean uh, and maybe a little thinner. And some of it turns out being binder. And so, you know, uh, the, the stuff that was really clean that we uh, uh, was a little bit thinner, we ended up making our fifth anniversary cigar with. Since then, we've been saving that tobacco to make our 10th anniversary cigar. Um, the... Uh, the binder, for example, we yield off. We that was part of what kind of drove us to working with uh, uh, the San Andreas and then making the Neanderthal. So the Aquatine uh, wrapper, we yield that off. That's what in, ended up really starting the Whiskey Rebellion project. Uh, the stuff that's a little cleaner and a little bit thinner. Um, so um, sometimes it works that way too. Okay. Um, so. Obviously, being in the business and and being a retailer before, um, you know, you had Roma Craft to back. You built a lot of relationships, and then when you guys started making your own cigars, you know, you obviously have um, you know conversations a lot with you know guys like uh, like Steve Saka or Hector Alfonso or guys like that. And um, what are some of the you know the the headaches? versus the you know the you know the pros and cons that you hear from them you know whether you've got you know guys who are in the business that that have projects made at other factories uh versus you who you do all your stuff in-house all independent um and what do you what do you hear from them as far as you know the headaches they deal with having to maybe source from uh not source but you know deal with manufacturing from some other companies um, versus some of the headaches you deal with being strictly independent? Well, I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, like you say, there's pl- plus plus. So I'm just going to make myself a big ass rum and coke. Do it, do it, because uh, <laughs> I can't get the ice out that, of this. You got that, so. that uh, 97 ounce tumbler or whatever it is. You got to fill it, yeah, fill it up. 24 ounce. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> see if we can finish this by the end of the end of the show. Um, what do you uh, What are you smoking right now? I'm smoking a Wonderlust uh, Robusto. Nice. And uh, I'm drinking this Dos Maderas and, and Coke. So I feel like a mad scientist here. I'm, <laughs> I don't see I, with my glasses. I know exactly what the ratio should be, but here I'm just kind of winging it. Yeah. Um. So let me. Here, here's the bottom line: is um, anything you do, if you do it yourself, you're kind of a master of your own fate, which sometimes is a positive and sometimes is a negative, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, we're not completely vertically integrated, integrated because, you know, I don't want to be a farmer. I was in the Future Farmers of America, <laughs> and believe me, I learned pretty qu- quickly. I don't want to be a farmer. So, um, the uh, the I guess the uh, you know even in my factory, and, and, and Esteban's doing this his whole life almost, and and I trust him implicitly. But you know, every time I leave the factory for two or three weeks. I come back and it's, you know, it's kind of a shit show of, uh, let me see if this is the right strength here. Oh, uh, no, too much rum. Oh, Oof. Too this much. is what, this is where everybody says, why are you, why are you mixing rum with a uh, Coke? Good rum with Coke. Did Skip Martin just say too, too much, much rum? rum? I know. Is that a thing? <laughs> I mean, you know, you try to take it easy. Yeah. It is a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to work a half day tomorrow, man. I can't be. <laughs> um, you know, so even so, even if I come out of town in my own factory, you know, there's, I've had to take stuff out of the shipment and, and unpack it and fix things. I've had to, you know, I walk into the factory even day to day and I find little things that I kind of have to self-correct. And none of them are real big, but, you know, at the end of the day, the, the mindset that we have in terms of, you know, attention to detail and quality aren't necessarily the same mindset that people who kind of do it every day have. Yeah. And, and especially I come in and I see, I see little things that, um, that may not seem like big things, but if, you know, a little th- thing takes you off course here a month later, you know, you're way off course. So, um, you know, guys like, Steve, who knows the factory operations, Nick, um, even now Robert Holt or Hector, or um, these are the guys that I kind of really see down there on a regular basis. Um, Dion, Pete, um, these guys, when they come down, I think they're, you know, mostly they're working on new projects. Like, you know, this is what the boxes and the bands are going to look like. This is uh, how it's going to be packaged. This is... um, you know, or they'll be working on a new project in terms of, uh, you know, this is the way the blend is supposed to work. This is the way it's supposed to be bunched, whatever. And um, then they leave and kind of hope that it happens that way. And then sometimes they come back, you know, a month later or two months later and shit's way off the fucking rails. You know, you know, why I told you this, why I didn't know that. And, you know, so then you end up with a lot of waste and a lot of repeat cycles and, um, and that's the guys that actually come down there a lot. So, yeah. The people who don't come down a, a lot, they get it all in uh, in 
shipped in, it starts going out to retailers and then they start getting feedback from retailers saying something's, you know, fucked up. So then, you know, it's way too late to fix it. And then I have to kind of go back to the, to, to the drawing board on some of, some of the things. And, and there's even more waste and, and burn cycle. So, um, you know, the biggest advantages is uh, of having your own factory is that you can cut a lot of that kind of thing off at the pass. Mm. And, um, and you can, uh, address those issues a lot of times before they happen. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing is, is that, um, in terms of decision-making, like you always get to these, these decision points where you can do it this way, or you can do it that way. And it's something that, that you haven't thought of before and being there on the ground, I get to be there for every one of those decisions. Like, you know, do we put the sticker this way on this new thing or do we, something that hadn't been thought of before, you know, Hey, we're having this problem or Hey, this, this tobacco, uh, is, is not as, uh, as strong as it was in the last three, you know, 30 bales we opened, what do we do with the blend? And so there's those kinds of things where uh, Esteban's completely capable of running a small factory. He ran a humongous factory, but, uh, in the small factory, what we're able to do is we're able to, you know, move really quickly on those decisions and before a lot of uh, mistakes are made. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, Skip, we've, uh, we've talked to, I don't know, a handful of guys that have, you know, really said Skip Martin was pivotal in either me getting into the cigar business or, um, you know, I reached out to Skip and he was just a fantastic mentor. Um, what does that that mean for you? And who are some of your mentors? Um, you know, for me, um, I mean, look, let's be honest. There's a lot of slap dicks in this business, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, like guys that are like half committed and don't have the capital or don't have the experience to do it, and you know, it just seems like a cool thing to do, and. Um, you know, I'll spend time with those guys and I'll try to encourage those guys, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're going to sink or swim. Um, you know, I try not to be really negative. I mean, I think, you know, for every, there's going to be one kind of guy that makes it through for every 10 that try and whether it's, you know, selling cigars at store level or, uh, being a, you know, being a guy that works in a store or being a guy that travels to, that works for a brand or, yeah. Or, or let's say you're just an importer or you're another brand owner. Um, I think, uh, you know, I try not to invest too much time with people who don't listen. Mm. So if I say, hey, you know, here's my advice and they ignore you and then they come back and go, oh, man, I should have listened to you. There's not very many of those cycles I'll go through before I'll be like, you know, I'm hey, just telling you. Let's just get something to eat, and you know, yeah. <laughs> you're, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll sit and tell stories and drink, but right. I'm not going to waste my time, you know, fucking yeah. telling you shit. By the way, um, let the record show that it was uh, 23 minutes uh, the first time uh, Skip used the word slapdick. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, sp- speaking of slapdicks, um, I think I've been I've been challenged to mention the Cigar Hustler po- podcast. Uh, every time I'm on a another person's podcast, <laughs> so uh, I've been accused of not supporting them. Like they they support me. So uh, Mike and Mike have a really Mike, cool. Yeah, Mike cool. and Mike have a great podcast. I listen to it all the time. Yeah. So if you're in Greenland, I think they're looking for a listener yeah. in Greenland. 
Yeah, Greenland and uh, uh, Madagascar. And- <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the, the sparsely populated in- interior countries of Africa, any of those. Well, yeah, um, pretty much right around the area where they grow the Cameroon tobacco. I think they, they don't quite have their listener base there yet, but they're working on it. Yeah, and I think uh, today they got it, or yesterday or whatever, they got a cease and desist from uh, the Bang Energy Drink people basically saying, uh, we watched your show. We thought this would be a good idea to have you guys be the official drink of this thing for nothing more than a case a week. But um, actually, on second thought, this is detrimental to our brand. And, and also, please refrain from using the phrase, tastes like diabetes. <laughs> Did they seriously so, send him a C and D? Or essentially, it was a it was basically a, it was a it was a breakup letter. That's fantastic. It's well, not yeah. it's not you. It's me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we love that you love us, but please stop talking about us. We you're fucking our brand up. Um. Hey, Skip, so, uh, one of the viewers, uh, uh, Daniel, wants to know if uh, if you guys are going to be there and uh, participating now that. Uh, Nicaraguan Cigar Festival is going to be back up and running in January of 2020. Are you going to be there for that? Yeah, we're a member of the chamber, so we're one yeah. of the sponsors of the of the festival. Yeah. Um. So yeah, of course, we'll, we'll be a part of that. Um. Yeah. So finishing the, the the last point was, um. On the other hand, there are there are guys who are really trying to do it the right way, and they're really they're working with other factories, and a lot of times they just need a sounding board to say, hey. This is what this guy's telling me. You know, what is this? Is this correct, or should I be looking at it a different way? Yeah. Uh, there's things like that. There's discussions like, uh, "Hey, here's this thing I'm working on. What do you think about it?" Uh, which six out of ten times, it's back to the drawing board, huh. right? Um, and then, um, you know, sometimes it's just a vent, right? It's like, would you believe, you know, this fucking retailer? Do you got the same problem, right? So, mm. um. You know, I, I mentor is a strong word. I don't think I've taken on a, a real kind of mentor relationship. Uh, I think Esteban and I kind of have that kind of relationship. Uh, him to me as a tobacco guy, and and me to him as a business guy. Um, that's probably my closest. Uh, cool. But it goes both ways, just from a different perspective. You know, I mentor him from a perspective of uh, experience in business and. Um, uh, you know, the way the the market works and, you know, the way consumers think and the way retailers work. Um, and he has his own brand that he kind of needs help from that perspective. And then, you know, everything I know about tobacco really has been taught to me by by Esteban or, or you know, in that context. So, yeah, it, that one kind of works both ways. I, I try I've tried a little bit to mentor, you know, like our guys here at the office, like Danny and John, um, more recently, Sean, who just joined us. But but honestly, you know, I, I'm not here enough to really do that the right way. So um, really, that falls on Mike. Yeah. Uh, my mentors, um, you know, most of my experience in, you know, mentorship really is have been business people outside of, you know, you know, pre uh, outside of the cigar business. Um, you know, everything I learned. And, and business obviously came, most of it came before I was in the cigar business. So, um, but you know, I've had retailers like Chad Chadborn at Emerson's, uh, Diana Silvis in Chicago at Updown, um, my friends here in Round Rock, uh, the, the Haas family, 
um, as I was starting a retail shop that, that I leaned on them a lot for information. Um, and then I have a lot of friends in the business. Uh, I have a lot of people who are probably like, fuck that guy. You know, I don't have time for those people <laughs> anyway, but, but, you know, at the same time, I have a lot of, uh, friends and, you know, relationships that have been years and years and years. Yeah, I've kind of followed Steve Saka as a fanboy or just as an admirer from, from back in, you know, the nineties when, when he was doing bulletin boards and, uh, all dot smoker dot cigars. And, uh, later he did a thing called Fuji pub. Um, and I always followed Saka from that perspective. And then later when I met him, he's like, you know, too big shot for me. And then now we're kind of more peers. So we, we spend a lot more time together now. And of course, now I know a whole lot more, more about how big of a bullshitter he is like before i just believed <laughs> i believed everything um you know i sent you a copy of that article that he wrote that's one yeah, of the greatest yeah. things i've ever read and you know i thought that everything saka said came with that kind of scholarly gravitas and seriousness <laughs> and really you know he's kind of a half a bullshitter too so well, you almost you almost have to be i mean you know just to, <laughs> to keep things interesting right I guess so. I really try to maintain a zero bullshit. Uh, you know, I, I spend almost zero time selling things. I mean, I just sat down with one of the biggest retailers in the country for three hours and I just really wanted to get to know him. I appreciate his, him yeah. as a retailer. And then at some point and multiple points in the conversation, it was, okay, well, what are, are we going to do business together? I'm like, I don't know. You got to talk to Mike. I just make the cigars, <laughs> you know? So, um, uh, what, is the, what is the line from the movie? He makes the deals. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just make the cigars. Yeah. That way when it, when the whole thing blows up and is a shit show, I can point fingers and criticize. I, <laughs> I can't do that. If I was the one that made the, every retailer that I've told Mike that we should open up pretty much has turned into a, a, a total abortion. So <laughs> he, he doesn't listen to me anymore. Casey wants to know what kind of shampoo you use to keep such silky hair. <laughs> I appreciate that you noticed that. <laughs> he doesn't it's uh the the dry uh Texas air is doing <laughs> it's hard on my um I I don't know if I want to tell you that. I'll I'll, I'll take a picture in the shower tomorrow yeah. for you, Casey. <laughs> there you go. Um so kind of it's not cheap, I'll tell you that. It's not cheap, no, no. Um so kind of since the beginning really of of you know Romacraft you've really relied on social media, you know, for promotion and, and, and getting the word out there. And that there's been such a shift over the last 15 years, you know, with social media in general for regardless of what product line or, or what, what category of products you happen to be making or selling, there's been such a shift. And what has, how have you leveraged social media and you know, what is that? Um, what is that? do for Roma craft and, and what are the pros and cons of, you know, doing a lot of promotion and spreading the word on social media? Well, I mean, I think one of the, I say this, I've said this on a lot of interviews as well is one of the things is we just look at social media as a tool. It's not a, uh, it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a strategy. Not a strategy, yeah. Okay. Right. So the, the underlying strategy is just stay connected with the people who use our product. I mean, 
I guess the easiest way to say it is um, when I had a store and I got hit by a hurricane after the store got hit by the hurricane. Um, I had been on Twitter because Doc Stogie Fresh had done started live tweeting when he went to the trade show, the RTDA, back in 2006 or seven, And yeah. um, so I had been on Twitter, but I never really used it that much. I don't I mean who has time to waste on social media. <laughs> uh, little did no, I know. Certainly not. So, me. right. So, you know, back then I was running a business and I was working, you know, 60 hours a week and. You know, I didn't have a lot of time to just bullshit around on on Twitter. We had a, you know, I, I had a Friendster account, I had a uh, uh, MySpace account. Uh, in fact, the name Chief Hava, which is my kind of handle, um, was the name of the cigar store Indian in our store. Uh, they called him Chief Hava because our cigar shop was called Hava Cigar, and so the cigar store Indian was Chief Hava. Yeah. And so, really, from MySpace, we just. Uh, all the stuff that came out was kind of in the voice of the cigar store Indian. So I could do it or Charlie could do it or the Aggies that work for us, they could do it. And when something came out said, Hey, you know, we have a, we have a La Florida Minicana event this weekend, you know, whatever, or, Hey, this happened in the shop today. It was coming from chief Hava. And so, um, from our MySpace account for our cigar store Indian. (laughs) So, um, and then, uh, then, uh, later on, when the store got hit by the hurricane, um, it was not a lot of news coming out of the island. And there was a reporter who was live tweeting all, all every day, all day about, hey, I'm on the island. This is what's happening. This is, you know, this is what's flooded. This is what's, you know, with emergency response, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, I really started paying attention to it with that. I had a blog called Smoke Signals that uh, was on Blogspot. And. Uh, I, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff on there as well, but, um, really after, after the hurricane and after everything, everybody was contacting me going, Hey, are you going to reopen? What's the plan? You know, do you need anything? And what I really realized what I missed after the shop closed was these interactions that I had with all my customers. So, you know, I would at least be in the shop Thursday through Sunday which was, you know, 80% of our business. And, uh, you know, I missed the guy coming in, sitting down with him, talking to him, you know, you know, engaging with him, you know, building a, a rapport and then, you know, talking about things that were going on in his life. And so, you know, I didn't really miss being at the store, ringing up cigars till three in the morning. I didn't miss uh, sitting around smoking cigars and, you know, with pe- people necessarily. What I missed was those interactions. And so, I really started in, uh, using the tool of Twitter to find new kind of people in the BOTL community, yeah. right? I mean, the the the, the forums, uh, like at that time, I think the big forum was Cigar Live, I think, which was uh, yep. Sam Lucio had a big part in that. And mm-hmm. those things, they get so tribal and so so much drama and – and you know, there's all these little inside jokes and rules and everything. You can't just, you can't just be normal. So, um, when, when t- with Twitter, you, you were kind of outside the constraints of all of all the that bullshit, yeah. and and you could just, you know, uh, find. Hey, this is what I'm smoking. What are you smoking? You know, hey, you know, hey, I'm in 
I'm in North Carolina. What shop should I go to? Oh, I'm, I'm here too. And then what I started to realize was, is I had literally thousands of people who I interacted with or who were friends or followers or whatever. And then everywhere I went, I would run into people that I had been interacting with for years that I had never met. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, obviously when we started Romacraft, uh, a lot of the success came from the, the support that the, uh, the new media guys at that time gave us, you know, Doc Stogie Fresh, uh, Dog Watch, uh, uh, Nice Tight Ash, Stogie Review. Yeah. Uh, uh, Cigar Feed, which was Charlie beforehand, the Smoking Stogie, which was Brooks. Um, a lot of those guys really supported us, and and that's how we kind of reached out to even more people. And then those people would start following us on on Twitter, and then we just engage with them. You know, most of the most of very rarely do I ever say, "Hey, here's this new product we have." You know, here's all the information about it, and you know, please buy it. You know, I, we don't do a lot of marketing on per se on social media. What we really try to do is just approximate like, okay, I have this business. If every week I could interact with all 40, 50,000 people who, who buy our product and, you know, find out who's getting married, who's having babies, who's uh, lost a job, who got a new job, you know, what, what are they smoking? What are they liking? Yeah. It just became a tool where we could approximate that. So, you know, for us, social media, if you're not social um, and you're not don't have to t- invest the time to do it yourself, then why do it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I at the beginning of the show, you asked me what my favorite part of those those uh, festivals are. It's like sitting around outside with an open bottle, passing it around, talking, telling stories and talking about things that are going on. Um, that's essentially what I try to do in the social media. Mm-hmm. Is just you know do that all the time. Uh, when we get into discussions like, you know, you know, so and so did this, or you know, f that guy, or whatever. Like <laughs> to me, you know, or those kind of little drama things. You know, we just recently started a uh, a Facebook group called Weasel Team Six, mm-hmm. primarily because of the changes that were going on with Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't have control over where a lot of these uh, discussions were happening in other groups, so. You know, we said, look, you could post whatever cigar you want. You know, just be nice to each other. Don't be an asshole. Um, don't try to sell stuff. Um, you know, just you know, be a be a, be a guy that hangs out. You know, and so yeah. um, that's you know that's really what it is for us. Yeah, uh, that community piece. <clears throat> you know, it's like when you're at the cigar shop. You know, there's it's just it's you never know who you're going to run into you know you could yeah. end up having a, a a 30 minute conversation or an hour long conversation with somebody and then the dude walks out and some guy says to you hey do you know who that was you know that was you know so and so famous you know rich dude or who it could be whoever the hell it doesn't matter but but when you when you get guys in there who start and i agree with you 100% when you get guys in there who you know start bashing brands or who starts um you know just shit posting or or whatever it is it's it it, it kind of detracts from just that sort of feeling of just let's just sit around a table together and share a bottle or and share some cigars and and you know and just kind of hang out and and you know talk about our jobs our wives or whatever the hell's going on in our life you know 
Yep. Right. I mean, there there is this cynical, which is well earned, because a lot of people who interact on social media, they're, they're just there to promote their company, right? Right. But, but um, so there's guys who are cynical of that, and and but then there's just you know, look, here's my theory that. You take, you know, everybody says this all the time that you go into a cigar shop, you sit down. There's the, the the Wall Street guy, there's the the plumber, there's the whatever, the school teacher. There's liberals, there's you know, not very many. There's conservatives, <laughs> and and you could sit there and you could just talk about whatever. And over time, you become friends, and you know, everybody has a different perspective and a different background, but you're all kind of equals when you're in there talking over a cigar. And the problem with that is. There are people who are completely antisocial who have who've never had a friend in their entire lives who, whose entire life is uh, is uh, you know based on having you know no friends. I mean, they're like you know two weeks away from being a mass shooter, <laughs> and they walk into a cigar store and people are actually friend friendly with them. Yeah. Right. And even if they're those, they're that guy, as long as you, you see, you know, you take a little abuse and you sit over in the corner and we'll say, no, shut the fuck up. You know, Donnie, you know, you're out of your element <laughs> or whatever. At least they have what they call friends. Right. Yeah. And, and, and at least in a cigar shop, they're like, hey, dude, if, if you don't stop that bullshit, we're going to tell you you can't hang out anymore. Right. When in, in the cigar forums, there's a lot of those guys, but, but you can't kick them out. <laughs> as easily yeah. right you yeah. can't you can't t- you can't pull them aside and go look bro you're a fucking loser just <laughs> just be normal right <laughs> and so and then there's people who spend out you know they say oh i'm, I'm above it all you know i i'm above all the brands i'm above all the people I'm, I'm above the culture i'm not a dick writer and then they'll comment on every single post saying negative shit and it's like you dedicated a lot of time and energy into being a fucking asshole yeah. It's like it's like clearly you don't have a life because if you did you would I mean look I, I'm as engaged I am in social media because this is what I do for a living. Yeah. Um there's some people who are just way too in it but at least they're positive and I'm like dude seriously take a break you know take you know <laughs> go on a camping trip yeah. you know whatever do some hot yoga you know meet a chick get a blowjob I don't know. But but then there's some guys who who spend tons of time just coming in there, just being a fucking asshole. Like, yeah. t- like just yesterday, uh, a friend of ours who has a barbecue company, um, you know, he's a he's a plumber. He's a you know, he's 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 not a guy that I would probably naturally go to get to know. He's a completely different kind of person than I am. But over time, I've gotten to know like he's a solid dude. Oh yeah. When he when he well, started it when he when he started his bar- we were talking about. So yeah. So when he started it, he's a hard worker, you know, he takes no bullshit. I mean he's the kind of guy I really would want as a friend. Yeah. And yeah. and when he started his barbecue company, he did like a, a GoFundMe or whatever. And of course I personally contributed to it, you know, because I want to see the guy succeed. And, you know, he's I would I don't think I've ever met him face to face, but um he's somebody, you know, I kind of know what's going on in his life. I know every time he's changed a job, I know when he's punched a coworker. I know when he's, you know, well, I know all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And so, um, some guy he's friends with, uh, I guess he's been the last couple of days, he's been smoking a lot of Roma and, and he posted another cigar and the guy was like, well, finally you posted something besides Roma, you know, it's, there's so many other companies out there that can get loyal fans without giving away a bunch of free shit. And I'm like, <laughs> how the fuck do you, 
okay, so like we didn't have a big contest. We didn't say if you buy this, you'll get this. We didn't right. do a raffle drawing. I just said, hey, if our group gets up to 1500 in a couple of weeks, I'll give a bunch of shit out. Yeah. So I sent out $27,000 worth of shit to like 100 people just because, you know, like, hey, thank you. Absolutely. Right. And it wasn't like, you know, a T-shirt or, or a cheap Chinese no, T-shirt. That, or it, was, it, was, it was legit swag. I mean, it was it was beyond swag. It was it was I mean, yeah, it was it was legit. It was like if you came to our headquarters and you hung out with us for a couple of hours, I wouldn't let you leave without this stuff. Right. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to kind of do is just say, hey, you know. Here's this stuff. Right. And, and, and I can, you know, I have a full time employee that spent two weeks you know, sending it out, the postage, the, the answering all the emails, getting shirt sizes. It wasn't an easy thing. And then here's this fucking asshole in, the, in this comment section going, oh, well, they're just buying loyalty. I'm like, fuck you, man. I, these guys were all loyal anyway. These are all like a hundred of the, the, the people who, who contribute a lot in our group. I didn't ask them to do shit. I just send them something. Right. Mm. You know, and I didn't ask you to sign up and pay a hundred dollars a year to join this secret society and pay a fee. <laughs> I just sent yeah. you a bunch of shit, you know? Yeah. So, so <laughs> the fact that somebody can find out, find something negative with that, it's like, you know what block? I don't even have time. I don't even have time for these fucking people, caustic, corrosive, life sucking people Yeah. in my life, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's the negative. That's the dark side of this culture, you know? For every, I mean, there's guys who are like irrational fanboys. And what I mean by that is it's not just people who respect what we do, but people who are like, like that Patton Oswalt character in the fan, the movie, the fan, you know, it's like, well, like just, and I could name, I could name one and, and like, I'm literally driving down the road and I get video calls from this guy. And before I knew better, I would answer it and it was like, Hey, you know. How are you doing? I'm like, I'm good. What's up? You know, like, who's this? And it's like, oh, I just want to see how you're doing. I'm like, do I know you? You know, it's it's odd, but what are you doing um, right now? What are you? Yeah, exactly. It's like the cable. Like, guy. I would never just straight up cold call somebody I didn't know with nothing to say. But <laughs> um, what's up? But for every one of those guys, there's an irrational hater, right? It's like the it's yeah. the yin and the yang. It's like, right? I don't deserve the irrational the the you know the this level of fanboy, we're just making cigars. And then on the other hand, I don't deserve the bullshit haters either. Cause yeah. I, I'm, you know, I try to be a good guy. So. Yeah. Well, it know, comes fuck. with both. And it's, it's just like, whether it's cigars or booze or sports or whatever it is online, you know, the, uh, yeah, there's the whole, uh, keyboard warrior, you know, internet tough guy, you know, that comes out that, that there. If you're sitting around, like you said, if you're sitting around a table in a cigar shop and you're passing a bottle and you're passing a box of cigars, these are things you would never say to somebody who's who's sitting five feet away from you, you know, just chilling, smoking a cigar, talking about the world. Uh, but well, right, because because there was a time where getting punched in the face was a deterrent to a lot of bullshit. Exactly. Exactly. And unfortunately, you can't get punched in the face through. A keyboard, right? Yeah. So if you're in Conor McGregor's bar. Yeah, if you're in Conor McGregor's <laughs> bar and you make fun of his shitty Irish whiskey. <laughs> All right. I mean, if he asked me, I would give him my honest opinion, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I would give him a hug and hope he would forgive me. Please, please don't hurt me. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, thanks, Guzman. Guzman. Oh, and Joe Guzman wanted to ask if you shut down your grinder account. <laughs> 
Uh, I've never had a grind. I've I've never had a grinder account, but I have had like a tender account just to kind of everybody talked about. It. I want to see how it worked. Yeah. And and after about an hour, I lost interest. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, because I'm sure everything everybody posts on Grinder or on uh, Tinder is 100 percent legit. Totally legit. Yeah. Real pictures. Yeah, real pictures, real stories. Everything's totally real. 100. <laughs> percent um, so yeah, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, if you yeah. like to suck dick, you know, hey, it's, you know, it's all you, good. You do you, whatever. Exactly. Um, let's go. So going back to um, tobacco, um, you know, whether it's what there's a lot of really huge, you know, premium cigar companies with, and huge premium cigar factories that are pumping out insane amounts of, of hand rolled cigars every day. Um, and then there's, you know, there's smaller factories like Nika Sueño and Lazona and some other factories that are, you know, they're just a little bit smaller. They don't put out the numbers like some of these other companies do. But I've always thought from the factories that I've had a chance to visit and seen, and I've seen big factories and small factories, for the most part, you know, the raw materials are the same. The process of construction is the same and packaging and things like that. But there are, there are always differences that separate um, you know, truly like you guys, the, the word craft is in your name and you talk about craft all the time. Uh, you know, it's like Budweiser versus, you know, this bent brewstillery local brew that I'm drinking right now. It's what, where are the differences, you know, from whether it's the raw materials or the process, where do the differences come in that actually make a, a craft product or a small batch product, a better product in the end for the consumer? I mean, it's a complicated, it's a very complicated, I mean, I could talk, I could give a whole semester class over this, but, you know, it, what it really boils down to is this, is that there, there are small factories that make shitty cigars and they don't last very long. Yeah. And, And then there's, and then there's big factories that make really great cigars, uh, but they don't make a whole lot of them. Right. And so, or they're very, very expensive. Um, I mean, I, a good example is Davidoff. I mean, Davidoff can make Davidoff is as capable capable of making um, the exact kind of cigars we make or better uh, all day, every day. Uh, I think I have a ash on my. There it is. It's tobacco. <laughs> so um, there, there. I mean, you know. If you want to pay $500 for a cigar, you can have a cigar that Eladio Diaz rolled himself and, and that they hand-selected every leaf for, and that's about as craft as it gets, right? I mean, yeah. the Oro Blanco, uh, as much as I wanted to not like it, it's a really great cigar, um, but it's $500, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's little factories that really want to do good, but – you know, they don't have the capital to buy the tobacco. They can't keep the product consistent. They can't, you know, they can't get work, the be, you know, the better workers to come to believe in them and come work for them. Um, so, and they cycle through people who are kind of like the alcoholic that got fired over here or, you know, the, the chick coming back from a, from a baby leave who is just there long enough until another thing opens up. Um, so, I mean, you know, there's big or small, there's, there's, there's examples of good and really bad in both of them. Yeah. Um, so I don't necessarily believe that the size that you are necessarily determines how good of a job that you do. Um, That's what she said. 
So it, it, <laughs> I think I think it, it you know at a basic level it is harder to have high quality and a big operation just because by the sheer numbers you, you're doing more and you have less control over the individual actions of individual people and then also when you need you know five rollers in a factory or six rollers in a factory it's a lot easier to pick people and to train them than it is when you have you know 900 so yeah um but you know most of the really big factories they make everything from you know the 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 really high end products all the way down to the cheapest bundles cuban sandwich cigars and it's yeah. the nature of how they consume all the tobacco that comes through their uh, through their pipeline um and in the, in the small factories, a lot of times, you know, they go out and find a really small amount of really good tobacco and they have a couple of good people. They make really good cigars. And then, you know, six months from now, they can't make that anymore. So, yeah, um, you know, but if you look at it like in the beer world, it's the same way. There's really small kind of startup brew, brew you know, home brew guys that open up a little brewery that, you know, half of the stuff they do is just garbage. Mm-hmm. And and there's they don't have the money just to dump a whole batch of shitty beer. They have to sell it and pretend that it's special, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, and then there's also you know big guys who who just make the watered down homogenous you know kind of fuck Bud Light, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, from a product perspective, what's really cool about craft beer, which I think is true in the cigar market, which is you got a guy who who has the money, who has the experience, who 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 has, knows how to do it, and he can survive as a company making this really specific thing that he loves to do, like some weird sour, right? Yeah. And ninety eight percent of the people who drink beer are not going to buy that product, but this guy can survive as a business making the best sour that anyone has ever had. And there's some people who are going to absolutely love it. And then, you know, that's who his market is. And so really that's how we started out. The, the real big advantage for us as a company is that we can make uh, really high quality cigars, but we do it so efficiently that we can sell them for two, $3 less than most of the people who are making cigars of, of equivalent quality. And they're also kind of in a in a a silo of you know really strong Nicaraguan cigars or you know full body cigars. So you know some that same dickhead the other day was like, "Well, this one cigar you make was great, but everything else needs work." It's like, "Well, excuse me, you motherfucker!" Like, <laughs> I doubt you spent ten seconds. I mean, like you wouldn't know a Lajero leaf from a Viso leaf, but thanks for the advice. It's like I like them, and I and and I honestly wouldn't sell it if I didn't like them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, fuck that guy. So, <laughs> you know, I, I really honestly love everything I make and I don't, and I don't need to, to just come out with products because the old products aren't selling. And I don't need to, if I make look right now, um, I could go buy broadleaf. I mean, broadleaf's not hard to get, but the kind of broadleaf that we use, we've already used it all for this year. Yeah. Uh, Esteban posted a picture the other day that the tobacco that's been in a Pallone since November of last year is almost ready. And it's probably eight or 9,000 pounds or two, you know, three or four Pallones. And then we'll, we'll, 
uh, reduce that down to probably about 3,000 pounds, hopefully, uh, or if it's like last year, 1,800, 2,000 pounds of what we think we want to use. We'll buy some of it as binder for, for uh, Neanderthal, and the rest of it will go back into the pool for someone else to buy, even though we hand-selected those those packs a year ago. Um, yeah. And then we'll start making Cro-Magnon again, and then uh, when those are gone, they're gone, and then we'll, you know, we won't make them for six months. And a big factory can't afford to do that. You know, I have a million dollars worth of cigars on back order. And there's a lot of companies out there that there's no way they would sit on a back order like that. They would they would do whatever they could do to generate the cash flow from that so they could keep operating. Uh, for us, it's like, look, we make it. If if, if somebody's going to buy it, you know, if it's you, I hope hopefully it's you. If not, it's going to be somebody else. And if it's not good, we won't make it. Yeah. If it's if we can't make it the right way, so um. You know, that's to me, that's what being craft is about is where you're product driven, you know, as opposed to being market driven. Yeah. And and you're um, you're trying to do something that's very specific um, and you can do it in a way where you can serve a small group of people uh, and not have to worry about the broader market. Right. Like, you know, I posted. Um, so two thoughts that came to mind was uh, one. Um, the, I just posted a story from, from Latin America about the layoffs in the factories, right? Mm -hmm. So some of the bigger factories are laying people off. Um, the numbers that they have in the story are pretty low. Um, you know, the numbers that we were seeing are kind of in the 500,000 kind of people have lost their job. And, you know, in some factories, it's half the factory that's being laid off and they're big factories, and they're going to other factories and the other factories aren't hiring them because they don't need people because they already have issues. And what's really happened underneath it. And, and Dave Garofalo on the cigar authority talked about this a couple of shows ago, but what's really happening underneath is some of the biggest companies in the business are stopping buying, you know, they're not buying as much. Um, you know, we only sell 10, 12% to the big five companies. Whereas some companies sell, some factories sell 80% of their production to those big five companies. Yeah. Right. There's one factory in particular that sells 80% to one of those companies. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, those kinds of, th being the scale we are, those kinds of things don't affect us. You know, we just keep making the cigars we make. When those kinds of things happen, sometimes tobacco that wouldn't have been available for is available. We buy it. Uh, sometimes, uh, um, the guys who would have been gobbling up all the tobacco and I've been, I would have been competing with them. They're not out there buying that kind of tobacco. Yeah. So it makes, in a lot of ways, it makes us, it makes it easier for us when those kinds of things happen. And, and when we built our company, we built it to be, to be this size, you know? Um, I mean, we could easily, I could probably set, we make 1.2 million cigars a year. I could probably, sell 1.2 Cro-Magnons a year. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, but the, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to do this, to, to make cigars and sell them in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, you know, there's no one right way to do it. We do it one way. Pete Johnson does it another way. Steve Saka does it another way. But there's, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of wrong ways to do it too. 
and and yeah. you see those every day. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, the, the the other thing, sorry, the other thing that, that I was thinking of in, in all of that was um, when we built our company, kind of, kind of going back to the social media thing, when we built our company, what a lot of small companies do is they go to the stores and they say, hey, please carry our product. And then it, they depend on the stores to build that product. And then they sink or swim based on whether the store does that. And they have to yeah. do a lot of things like discounting and terms and a whole lot of other exclusive deals and a whole lot of other things that really puts them, you know, that, that ties them in. And when we started, we built it from a consumer perspective saying, we're not going to go to any store and say, please carry our product, but we're going to go to consumers saying, Hey, try our stuff. And if you like it, buy it again until there's enough critical mass in a certain area where those guys kind of pushed the retailer into buying from us. And it's a little bit different model than what most cigar companies have done. And so I think that's why we've had such a good, you know, steady uh, kind of performance out there is because we made a promise to our, to the people who smoke our cigars, that this is what it is. And and it it is what we say it is. And it's going to be a fair price. And then if you get your retailer to carry them and you support your retailer and you buy them from them on a regular basis, then they'll reorder and we'll send them more. So, um, you know, generally when you walk into a, a store that carries Roma craft, they have a whole lot of it right. and they do, they do really well with it, but we're not in, we're only in about one out of every six or seven stores out there. So, um, it's, it's a different way of doing what we do. And, um, it's maybe not the best way. Uh, it's probably not the best way to make the most money, but, um, you know, I, I'm a businessman. I want to make money, and we do really well. But like um, you said, but, you're product driven instead of market driven, which, right, in the end, 99.9 percent of the time, regardless of what kind of product you're making and selling, is going to yield a more, in my opinion and in my experience, a more quality product. Yeah, that's our objective, right? I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's other cigars out there, cigar guys out there that are like, fuck Skip, he's fucking liberal, fuck that guy. He <laughs> thinks he's he's got it all figured out. It's like, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. I don't really give a shit what you think about me. I, You know, I, but there's a lot of guys out there, if they're being honest, are like, man, Skip and Mike really have kind of cracked the code and, yeah. and they make great cigars. They make a good living. They don't have to deal with all the bullshit we have to deal with. You know, I wish I could do it over and do it that way. Yeah. Um, I got a viewer question I'm going to pull up on screen here. I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but um, obviously um, I want to hear it from you, Skip. Um, Eric wants to know if you're ever going to release the Wonderlust to the state, or is it going to stay uh, European release only? Uh, well, so there was another question earlier. It's like, why don't we sell Weaselito and the other things in the U.S.? So yeah. if a product wasn't on the market or a predicate version of that product wasn't on the market by August of 2016, then you can't market it. And Wonderlust and Weaselito and three sizes of the Neanderthal are different enough where we ha- we launched those in Germany not knowing what's going on. Um the problem with Wonderlust is I can't make enough of them. I can only make like fifty to eighty thousand a year based on the kind of tobacco we use. So yeah. even if I brought them in the United States, they would only be in like our top twenty accounts, which just would, would just piss everybody else off. So um, it's about half of what we send to Germany, 
And the majority of, of those kinds of products actually like 70% go to one store and most yeah. of that comes back to the U S <laughs> so you can get it in the U S today. You just have to order it from Germany. Yeah. Um, and, I've, and I've bought from um, Salih before and, and it's a, it's a super easy process and I've never had an issue. So. Yeah. And so, and you know, that's a guy that I love. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's one of my favorite people that I've known in the last 20 years. And so, you know, when I met him, he was the Costa del, del Habano who was really trying to support, you know, these new world's craft cigar brands. In fact, he's a distributor for Crown Heads in Germany. Okay. And and so I just love the guy. I mean, he had like a 20-foot tall, uh, you know, mural of Jay-Z on the outside of his store. And I'm like, I, I fucking love this guy, yeah, right? Yeah. You walk into a store and it's all hip-hop and titties and you're like, <laughs> this isn't the typical you know european you know um cigar store yeah you don't but, hear rock monadon playing in the background and you know right pictures of Winston right Churchill. and the dude's a, a he's a fucking trip man he uh first of all he's a porn aficionado which cracks me up but oh he, he also i mean i'm not talking about like normal porn i'm talking about like you know artistic weird porn <laughs> If there's a word for that. So, but he rides this like custom low rider bicycle to work. You know, he's got the Yankees hat on. Um, I mean, he's just the coolest dude. And if you ever hung out with him for a day, the guy's just, you know, he's great. But, um, but honestly, he's the Schuster's number one customer now in Germany, almost entirely on the back of all the product he gets from us that he sells to the States. Yeah. And there's this other big cigar store in Germany, Cigar World, which is also a great store, brother and sister, the more traditional old school. I don't know if they even look at porn, but um, <laughs> they, uh, they're they super cool people, and they are very traditional and have built a, a really great business over a long period of time. But they had just stopped sipping stuff to the states because of all the regulatory problems. And, you know, Salih, he just doesn't give a fuck. So, I mean, at some point, that, that whole thing might fall apart, but – I mean, you know, I could probably sell 100% of the Wonderlust at the factory directly to consumers who visit Nicaragua. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it that particular brand probably never will come to the States. Yeah. So actually, and that sort of brings up a, a related question for me is what what was the the strategy behind um, you know, putting putting cigars on the ground in in Europe, in whether it's Germany or London or wherever it is in in outside of the U.S., was that was that part of the strategy from the beginning, or did it come as a result of seeing sort of see, reading the tea leaves with the FDA? I mean, honestly, it was Anne Marie Schuster visiting our factory, saying, "Hey, we want to make cigars with you." Okay, uh, Philip Schuster had had been buying long filler cigars in SLE for decades. And one of the very first projects he ever did was Casa Tor- uh, Torres with Latin Cigar, which Esteban blended and worked on. Um, so I don't know if you've ever seen, like we did the 20-year limited edition yeah, version. I, bought, of I bought two boxes of that, yeah. Right, based on that. So really it was just like, hey, here's these cool people. I, I want to take a trip to Europe. Uh, let me write it off as a business trip. I went and saw their factory. I spent time with the family. I said, man, you know, I'd love to do it, but we're always going to be small. You got, you know, and their thing was, look, we did Drew Estate. We did Camacho. 
every time we grew a brand uh, in this area, they, they got sold and, and then we got kind of cut out. And at that time, they were carrying La Florida Dominicana, which later kind of left them for another distributor. So uh, there were a certain size that really worked for us. I mean, it was kind of their limited size and their limited kind of skill set and actually selling the kind of cigars we make made them a perfect partner for us. Yeah. So, um, you know, every year I get to go to Europe, London, Paris, Spain, Geneva, Prague, you know, Venice. And uh, it's a business trip, and uh, it's uh, it's probably profit neutral at best. But um, you know, there was a little bit in there about hey, you know, there's this whole other part of the world that sells cigars that I want to get to understand, and they're, the way that they price, uh, market, position, retail cigars is completely different than the states, and I really wanted to understand that market in yeah. case we ever in case we ever really needed needed to understand it. Yeah. You know, from a regulatory perspective, there's still no clear pathway for a product, even an existing product, to can stay on the market. I mean, that's still all up in the air. But in Europe, which is the most bureaucratic body in the world in Brussels, um, they have this process called TPD and TPD2, this regimen of uh, a protocol of regulations. And, you know, I can send a brand new product over there, and in three weeks, it can go through the TPD process and, and go on the market. So there's actually a pathway to go from new product to the market, um, as as much bureaucracy as it is. Yeah. And in the United States, we don't even have that, which is which is ironic. So, um, you know, if we just had a process as fucked up and and you know, and bureaucratic as the process the Europeans had, we'd we'd be fine. But we still yeah. haven't even gotten to that point yet. Yeah. Well, and Skip, I know you you don't like to make it through a, a single podcast without hearing the name Jack Tarano. So Jack's in here and says hello. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Jack fucking Tarano. I love that guy. <laughs> I went to his house, and um, him and his wife and I are kind of on the same political wavelength, and um, I just wasn't comfortable without us all agreeing about everything. So I brought up uh, <laughs> the Cuban Revolution, and oh, we, that brought the it, house it, down. It went sideways pretty fast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but he's great. I, I like his wife actually more than him. But he. <laughs> oh, Jack's great. We love Jack. Um, and uh, um, there was a shoot. There was another question back there that I missed. But if uh, if anybody else has any questions, let us know. Um, but I want to. Um, we're gonna shift gears uh really quick and go into a little uh uh skip we're going to go into a little segment we do every week we call it uh useless facts of the week they're they're total nonsense it's basically something my wife makes fun of me for because i know shit that nobody else in the world should ever know because it's worthless um but uh so what country uh what country has the world's largest camel population Mm. Saudi Arabia. I thought Ooh. that too. I thought that too. Egypt. It's this answer surprised me to no end. I I still can't G- believe. Give me it. an initial. Give me an initial. A. A. Armenia. Armenia. <laughs> well, then they just they just have them for breed for <laughs> for uh, companion, companionship. Um. 
A. Azbekistan. Is that a country? No, it's not, <laughs> it's not Middle East. Oh. I was Alabama. <laughs> again, <laughs> again com- just for companionship. companionship. Argentina. No, it's Australia. Mm. No kidding. I couldn't. I, I mean, they, they do have a lot of arid, you know, uh, Desert in Australia, but I I couldn't believe that they've got the most camels in Australia. Um, that is, that is a useless fact. It is. Uh, and what what country has the longest national anthem? Oh man, uh, and think about the language that they speak. I have no idea. Oh, all right. I'm going to go Mongolia. No. It's a European country. I would say Finland. Ooh. It's one of the, uh, well, it's the uh, birthplace of modern language. Greece? It's Greece. Oh, wow. Their their national anthem has 158 verses. So by the time you finish it, (laughs) the the inflation has raised the, the exchange rate. Exactly. Uh, but they some <laughs> some some dude sometime in the 1870s pared it down to two verses, and that's the one they use today. But 158 friggin' verses in the the Greek the Greek national anthem. If Man, you want, by, by the time that was o- over, your knee would be sore, <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be out of Windex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. Um, all right, so time for my favorite segment of the week, Numero, Numero de los Muertos. All right. The number this week, you guys, is uh, 374. 374. Yeah, I do have another number associated with this. You but... can't give me more than one number. <clears throat> so between 1915 and 2017, 374 park visitors have died due to various things what park and i'll give you a clue it is in the united states it's got to be yosemite because every other week there's like some dumbass falling into the acid pool or yeah playing playing uh pokemon whatever the hell it is getting attacked by a bear (laughs) it's got to be yosemite it is not yosemite but it is related to a recent event that has happened. Somebody fell off a cliff taking a selfie. In the well, that is a statistic on here. Um, <laughs> is it one of the national parks? Guzman, Guzman with the win. It okay, Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain National, national park. park. Yep, three hundred seventy-four people have died. Um, so I'm going to guess that that before 19 or before 2016, they were 85 percent alcohol related, <laughs> and since 2017, they're 95 percent marijuana related. So, or the, smartphone related. So, okay, so um, the highest um, uh, statistic of people dying from that 374 is 67 of these fatalities have happened from this um companion Bear attacks com- companionship with camels not companionship no. with with uh damn it camels and not bear attacks it is 
falling, falling off a cliff. I, yep. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're playing friggin' co- Pokemon Go or whatever the hell it is, and they're they're falling off a cliff. Yep. That's you know I say let them fall. It'll Darwin. Let let nature take its course. You know, it's funny. It's like in Nicaragua, they had these things called miradors, and and they're like over, you know, vistic, whenever overlooks, and there are no fences, no, you know, things saying don't go. Back. I mean, and you don't ever hear about people falling off of them because yeah. when when you when you know you're in a place where, you know, you're fucked if you get hurt, <laughs> you're you do less stupid things. I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember being at the. Uh... Uh, the, when I was in the, the last time I was in Nicaragua, when I went to the Messiah volcano, um, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of areas that are really well, you know, um, uh, you know, roped off and fenced off, but there are, there's a lot of areas that they don't care about. You just go, go look around, you know, you got these toxic sulfur, sulfuric fumes <laughs> coming up into your face. And they're like, yeah, go ahead, take your pictures, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> now they make you wear a hard hat. Like that's gonna. Okay, so why do I have to wear a hard hat? Like, if this thing explodes and a and a and a molten lava thing falls on my head, I don't think this plastic hard hat is gonna. Yeah. Gonna. It's like the seatbelt on a plane. You know, if we hit the side of a mountain, you know, basically the seatbelt's gonna accomplish nothing but cutting me in half before before my brain splatter all, all over the side of the mountain. I don't know. I've been in some turbulence where if you weren't wearing a seatbelt, you oh, were yeah. fucked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the guy, the ShamWow guy, not ShamWow, uh, you know, that guy, Billy, whatever, like, oh, yeah. oh you know. The, the, flex, he, the flex seal dude. Yeah, that's how he died. Is it really? There was like, tur- there was like turbulence, and he, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and he flopped up into the luggage thing and broke his neck. See, if he, he would have flex sealed his ass to the seat, he would have been fine. Right. Oh. Got to use your own product, man. Yeah. <laughs> um so really quick skip um sort of a lightning round and and you know these are just sort of you know questions just throw out whatever comes to mind if if you could give one piece of advice to cigar consumers what would it be um it would be i don't know don't be a dick <laughs> don't don't be a cigar collector just smoke what you need and buy it and uh support support the guys who you know find one guy who you really like and support that guy and then and then he'll take care of you yeah um you know if you want to buy a 500 dollars cigar then more power to you i've done it uh but you know there's really no difference between uh, you know our eight dollar cigar and any other cigar on the market in terms of quality or whatever yeah. So if you want to pay twenty five dollars, then pay twenty five. But you know, you're a sucker. <laughs> um, same question. If you could give uh, one piece of advice to our retailers, what would it be? Um, with retailers, yeah. Restock the things that sell and clearance out the stuff that doesn't sell, and pay for your inventory as you go. Yeah. Actually, actually, pay for the inventory that's sent to you. That's that would be a yeah. That would be I think that I think the biggest piece of advice for retailers would be spend your time building new cigar smokers. You know, like having events and other things that bring new people into the cigar world. 
that make a guy who smokes one cigar a month smoke one a week or a guy that smokes one a week to smoke two a week or whatever. Um, when you when you're constantly focused on the same 15 fucking guys that sit in your lounge and watch Fox News and golf and and farting and just waiting to die, uh, then then your business is just waiting to die right along with them. Yeah. Not that I don't love those guys. Oh, yeah. Um, Jack, and- Jack Toronto makes a living off of those guys. <laughs> if you uh, if you could give one piece of advice to, and you probably have tried to give advice to them, uh, if you could give one piece of advice to the PCA, what would it be? Uh, I'm not in the the business of giving advice to those guys. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the biggest thing, if I if, if you know, even though it seems like how do I say this? I think if they had a more democratic process for electing their board members, then their members would have a more of a voice in what goes on in the organization. And it would probably be more chaotic, but it would also be more productive. Um, the whole thing's run kind of like a fucking, you know, pre-selected, same five people. They're serving their own. I mean, the reason why the IPSPR doesn't take place in March or February is because the majority of people on the board of the IPSPR or PCA are TAA members and they, and they don't want to fuck their own, their own other organization. Right. So, yeah. um, and you know, you don't get elected to the board of, 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 of IPSPR really, you get selected to the board, right. You know, you've paid your dues, you will put you in this role. And then seven years later, you roll out the other end when you're just tired of, devoting time to an organization instead of your own business. But um, now, I don't it, know. I is mean, it true that I, T, is it true that TAA is also an invite only organization? Is that, is that the case? I, I believe so. I think you have to be nominated by a, one or two existing members and then. Okay. Um, you have to know the secret handshake and <laughs> whatever. Oh, oh, this is a, here. I got to put this one up. Uh, Quentin wants to know if you could give one piece of advice to Jack Taranio, what would it be? <laughs> Find a good cardiologist. <laughs> and, uh, so Jack, Jack gave us a whole a whole speech about how healthy he was, and and I believe it. But you know, um, and I'm certainly not one to talk. But uh, <laughs> I'm not one to talk either. He, he, you know, I have a defibrillator, so yeah. I'm like walking around with the the thing. So yeah, uh, it, you know. You know, it's going to happen, but when it happens, I'm good to go. Uh, you know, Jack's going to decide one one day, hey, man, I need to get back in the gym. He's going to get on a treadmill, and he's going to stroke out and, <laughs> you know, like I told you so. <laughs> no, I don't know. Jack's a good guy. I don't yeah, think I'd have like any that. advice to give Jack. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my, my hope is that Jack doesn't fucking drive this – company into the ground the way he did every other company he's ever worked for so. oh, Jack's, <laughs> Jack's a perennial favorite we love Jack Jack's one of my best friends in the business yeah. he, he is kind of don't tell Jack anything you don't want everybody else to know though I'll tell you that no I've been there I've been there <laughs> um, and uh, I just want to say that uh, next week tune in and we will uh, definitely return to the camel discussion yeah, we'll we'll get back to the camel. Apparently, there's there's uh, some dissent um, uh, about the camel stats. Yep. 
So we'll uh, we'll talk more about not camel cigarettes because those are disgusting, but uh, the guy, the actual companionship animals or or what what do you call them when you take them on a plane? Uh, my, this is my support camel. Uh, support camel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, let's Garrett. Let's uh, close out quick with notable smokables. Um, so this week, um, uh, we we posted the review of the Southern Draw mm-hmm. Kudzu Lustrum. Mm. Um, so I smoked another one a couple days ago just so I could get some clean shots, uh, pictures of it for the uh, review. Uh, and again, it's it's just super legit. That was one of my uh, cigars, uh, notable smokables of the week. What was something you had? Um, I had a Padron 85th. Oh, well, it's a Padron, so. Um, and it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, I smoked a lot of new stuff uh, this week. Uh, the the new Placencia Alma del Fuego, mm. um, which uh, they they got a, on the shelves at uh, Tobacco Grove. Do they? It's, okay. It's super legit. It's really very good cigar. Uh, I, went I to- smoked the, uh, I bought a couple of bundles of the new, the Cigar Dojo, the Bonsai. Oh yeah, yeah. And? I mean, it's a great deal either way. It's like a ten or eleven cigars for fifty five dollars. Yeah, it's a good price. Good price. Uh, yep. It's very jalapa heavy for for me. Is yeah, maybe it's Condega, but it's pretty heavy in one note. But it was yeah. a it was a good cigar for the for the money for sure. Yeah. I think those go on sale tomorrow. Yeah, they do. They do. They, um, they sold for whatever's left the, over. Uh, they sold some at the festival, but yeah, they're going online tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh. I smoked, you know, I've been smoking a lot of uh, Saka's Tricky Traka. Oh yeah, how is, is that? Which is I like a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Is it a lot stronger than the uh, the Mikarita? Not really. Okay. Um, it's it's got a it's got kind of a longer finish to it, which I like a lot. Um, yeah, it's really good. And then um, I got a box of the uh, Smoke In kind of exclusives, and oh, there were a couple okay. there were, there were a couple of cigars in there that were really good. Yeah, oh, the, that the, uh, the micro blend micro blend series, yeah. Yeah, I've been smoking through those. Like, I think the yeah. one I like the most so far is the Oktoberfest one that I that I had, which was really good. Yeah, that was like a yeah. 20, 2015, I think, and that, give or take, like a twenty fifteen Oktoberfest. Yeah, that bunker buster. Yeah, the, the, the the I haven't gotten to that one yet. Bunker buster. Oh, yeah, that was my jam. Um, what was something else you had this week? Garrett? Um, I went to sleep twice with uh, the Nugs. Oh, I I smoked one of those this week, the hundred milligram ones. Yeah, I, I haven't had the hundred. I haven't had the hundred yet. Yeah, I haven't had the hundred. Uh, I was really, really pushing for the THC one, but uh, because <laughs> I, I'm not a weed smoker, so I was yeah. hoping that would really put it on me. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I didn't really feel it. I don't think. Uh, yeah, it but, relaxes but, me. It helps me to go to sleep. Honestly, it, you know, um, I've been taking melatonin, which really helps me go to sleep. Does it, yeah. it doesn't work for me. I drink a yeah. lot of beer. That helps me go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I jack off and cry. <laughs> that really helps me go to sleep. Yeah, that's probably that's probably a good uh, a good <laughs> sleep aid. Uh, my last one for this week was the the new version. Um, uh, HVC put out a La Rosa Five Twenty Maduro. That's uh, a great cigar, and it's uh, I got the forty six ring gauge. Uh, sort of the uh, I can't remember the exact name of the Vitola they put on it, but um, I also got that at Tobacco Grove. They got it new on the shelf, and I was blown away. I mean, gotta do it. yeah, really. I, cool. I really like I really like everything he he's doing. Oh, and, yeah. and, and how he does it. Yeah, um, 
you know, it's kind of, you know, it's good to refreshing to see just straight, legit, you know, no mm-hmm. bullshit, no hype. Yeah. Um, I really like how he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they get some of that. Um, I mean, some of that Aganorsa tobacco they get their hands on, you know, it's, it's good stuff. It's good, you know, good raw materials that go into that. And, um, you know, and, he, and he's also just a straight up good dude. So, um, good cigar. And that was my, uh, um, that was my last notable smokable of the week. Um, so skip before we, before we go, just, um, give everybody kind of a final reminder of, uh, you know, where they, where people can find out about Roma craft to back, um, and, um, where they can learn more about your cigars. Well, I mean, like you said, most people who are, who spend an hour and 32 minutes watching this, um, <laughs> they already know I'm chief Av on, uh, Instagram and Twitter. Mike is smoke Roma. Um, uh, and our, company page is Roma craft to back. We really just publish pictures from other people. Um, weasel team six is our group on Facebook, which is a lot of really good guys in there. Uh, we try to keep the, uh, knucklehead factor to a, to a minimum. And I, I'll fucking kick somebody out. I don't give a shit. So, (laughs) um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean my Facebook page, if you're interested in, post-progressive, you know, libertarian, <laughs> socialist, social libertarian politics and food pictures. That's always good. Love the food pic. Yeah. The best thing to do is just kind of talk to your local retailer that carries our stuff. We have a retailer map on our website, uh, Roma Craft to Back. Um, you can go see, you know, somebody who carries our product. Yeah. Uh, if, if you find that they're on our map and that we really aren't well represented in that store, you can send us a note saying, hey, fuck these guys. Huh. You know, find another store. This is my store. You should be selling them there. And, uh, you know, really, we go to whichever stores the customers are at. So, and yeah. as long as they're good, you know, retailers. So, we have, again, you know, we cut off retailers all the time, too. So, yeah. Well, um, you know, and um, give us an idea of uh, um, for those who aren't aware of the ship date, when can people start to expect? Baca in stores. Uh, Baca and the Neanderthal LH are going to be coming out in November. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be out in Arizona for Sam and Rosie's anniversary party in next month and September 20th. And uh, we're going to release the uh, Neanderthal LH there the first time. I think they're going to have a hundred boxes. Uh, those probably won't last long. And then the rest of them are coming out in November, I believe maybe October. Yeah. Um, I think in November, maybe half in October, half in November. And then, um, the Baca is also, I mean, it's sold in two days. So, you know, we'll charge the card. If the card gets declined, we'll move on to the next guy and then we'll start <laughs> calling people until they're all gone. And that'll be November two as well. And there'll be a lot of hurt feelings and, yeah. you know, it happens. You'll make more um, the, when you have the tobacco to roll them. Yeah, we're probably going to make two sizes every year. I mean, that's one definitely where if, you know, look, it it doesn't suck. So buy a box, you know, buy a two boxes. And then if you can get them, yeah. if nothing else, if you don't personally like them, they'll make great trade uh, bait. So, yeah, um, they're, they are kind of pricey. They're like 11 or $12 a piece for small sizes. So um, I tried really hard to get the price down, but from what I had to pay for the Jamistron filler and, and for the wrapper uh, and, and kind of our 
stringency on the quality piece of it. It um, it just ha- it just is what it is. So yeah, yep. yeah. But it's worth it's worth it. I mean, you're not going to smoke it and go, oh, that sucks. Yeah. So yeah, we're um, excited to try it. I know there's a ton of people out there who are really excited to get their hands. So everybody's really looking forward to that release, definitely. Yeah, and then um, I've been working on uh, for next year is our 10th anniversary um, since we started making Chromatic 2010. So uh, I'm going to do a uh, a Grand Perfecto set that has all of our cigars in it and then get that out in the market and sold as fast as we can sell it before the FDA catches on. And then um, <laughs> that'll be good. It'll probably be five cigars for 100 bucks, so they'll be pricey as well. But yeah, that, they'll all be great. Yeah, I saw some of that. Um, you were posting some pictures of the different blends in that in that Vitola, and um, I know just from smoking um, quite a few of that, uh, um, you know the the Casatores, um, That Vitola is a really, you know, it's it's a great Vitola. It it just smokes really well, and I can only imagine it's going to smoke really well in the other blends too. Yeah, yeah, it is really really good. Uh... I get. I, I brought some back from Mike from Nicaragua, and I went straight to Miami and straight to uh, Denver, and like five of the twenty-five made it to Mike. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, hey. so many weasels. So many weasels. So many. Yeah. Um, Skip, thank you so much. We're we're grateful that you uh, you spent some time online with us tonight, and uh, thanks yeah, everybody yeah. who watched. Um, for those of you who are listening after the fact on the audio podcast, um, thanks again, as always, for listening. Um, please continue to uh, to listen to the podcast. Um, subscribe to it. You know, rate us if, if you like what we're doing, and, and we really appreciate it. Um, if you have any questions, you can hit us up on Facebook. You can also send us an email on the website, uh, howaboutthatcigar.com. And until we talk to you next time, burn cigars, not bridges. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys.